Hello everyone, my name is Dan Tamminga and you are listening to Masters of Science, a podcast in which I talk to master students about their study program and their master thesis. We discuss the content of their thesis, but also their personal views and experiences in doing this research. Today I will be speaking to Ina Nagler, master student, climate physics. So, hello Ina. Hi. Great to, to have you here. Well, thank you. Can you introduce yourself? So my name is Ina Neidler. I come from Vienna, Austria, where I studied physics. And um, yeah, and now I'm here and studying climate physics in Utrecht. Climate physics. Um, tell me about it. What is the study like? It's great. Um, it's different from my bachelor's degree, definitely. Um, it is about describing our Earth's climate system. So the atmosphere, the oceans, the cryosphere, and also how these interact with each other. So it's huge. What I enjoy about it is that it that it that we can feel um, the things we're studying in 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 the in my bachelor's degree, we were fo focused mostly, you know, one single particle or two. Um, but here, it is such a huge, huge system, and we know so little about it. But we feel, you know, with our own bodies, how how it works and what it does. Yeah, yeah I can imagine. It's, it's all around you, the climate. And... The way you've approached this is by applying physics on the climate, right? Exactly. So what we do is, um, I think there's three ways um, in which we go about um, doing climate physics. There is the theoretical approach, so using mathematics to describe how it works, but also observations um, to validate our descriptions and then modeling. So using um, the theoretical approach um, and to try to replicate the system that we have right now or the system that we had, you know, 100 years ago, 1,000 years ago, or also trying to project the future. Okay, so this does also cover both past and Future and present, it's not necessarily about the climate of today. No, exactly. But that is relatively, I mean, relatively easy, right? Because the, the, the laws, the physical laws that govern the system today are also the same that will govern it in the future or in the past. So once you have established how the system works, you can extrapolate, um, yeah, behavior of the of the past and maybe also the future or definitely of the future yeah right and what kind of students come and study climate physics what are usual backgrounds or are there usual backgrounds yeah so i th i would say physics students obviously and climate uh earth science um students as yourself um I think what is important is to have a foundation in mathematics. 
or an advanced mathematical background. And then everything. I mean, there is also people, yeah, I think as long as it is related to physics or describing the earth in some way, you can you can try to apply and see if you want to join. And there are several study tracks, right? Can you tell me about them? Exactly. So um, there is six different study tracks. Um, there is um, ocean dynamics and um, atmospheric dynamics. Then we have ice and climate, so concerned with the cryosphere. Then we have atmospheric physics and chemistry. Then we have coastal and shelf sea dynamics, which is a separate group from, from the oceanography group. And then we have in the end, where it all comes together, the Earth system modeling. And um, yeah, so we have three compulsory courses in our, in our master in the first year, and that is oceanography, meteorology, and atmospheric physics um, and chemistry. So to get an overview of, of all the components that are involved. And then once we have that, we can specialize in one of the, of the six fields. How did that go for you? Which track did you choose and why did you choose that? Um, yeah, I'm going for oceanography. Um, I think what motivated me in the first place was my teachers. They were so enthusiastic and um, yeah, just happy to teach us about the oceans. And this is when I learned that um, we know so little about the dynamics that govern our oceans. Or we know the main equations, but we don't know really how it affects it because it's so hugely complex. And um, so it's this fascination for, for really just trying to understand something that we're all in contact with constantly. I mean, the sea. Obviously, if you live close to the sea, then, then you're constantly in contact. Me as an Austrian person, I only know the sea from afar. But, um, but also there, every time when, I, when we went to the sea, I was just so mesmerized and overwhelmed by how beautiful it is. And now I'm trying to describe how it works, which is, seems quite impossible. Yeah, beautiful. Describing how the sea works. <laughs> yeah. That's a high task. <laughs> yeah, how do you do that? Um, well, me, myself, um, I'm, I'm describing um, the currents around the Galapagos Islands. So there is, there is multiple approaches to go about this, but the approach that, that we're using is... Um, the tracking of particles along ocean currents. So we have a general idea. We have measurements of how the ocean behaves around the Galapagos Islands, for example, but, but, but almost everywhere. What I do is I release little particles um, and simulate how they move along, along um, these currents. And... Um, yeah, this is all done in my case to find out if trash arrives at the Galapagos Islands. 
not right. when and where more like because it does arrive this I know already yeah yeah unfortunately it does yeah um which is I guess also the reason for you doing this research um which is nice a very practical reason we have a problem there's waste in a beautiful place um how do we prevent that yeah is that one of the drivers of the research I think prevention is um, relatively hard in my case because most of the trash arriving at the Galapagos Island comes from outside. But what we're trying to figure out is where does this trash come from? Um, and that's actually what my thesis is about. So try. I, I focus on fisheries. So I want first I try to figure out if fisheries contribute to the trash that arrives at the Galapagos Islands. Um, in the next step, I am um, looking at where it comes from. So that's not only location, but also shipping flags. So the countries that where the boats that fish um, come from and the gear type. So because if we know that one gear type um, has a lot of trash coming to the Galapagos Islands, then maybe we can exactly talk to the fisheries that produce uh, fish with this one gear type, you know, so that that might be lines or nets or whatever. And, um, and then uh, this is the, the waste that exactly. comes to the Galapagos Islands. Yeah. So um, you also look into which what the waste is that beaches? Um, no, I don't. Mm. Um, that's more on the observational right. basis. I'm just doing the the modeling, the, the the simulation, simulating how it travels. Yeah. Right. So, we talked about the three different ways of doing climate physics. You're simulating. I'm simulating exactly. And you're simulating waste particles moving with the ocean currents, and at some point, beaching at the islands. Exactly. Um, I am, I am not so much looking at the beaching. I do also um, simulate this, or it's a statistical analysis, basically. So see how much arrives at the shores. But what I am interested in is where does it come from and how does it travel towards the islands. Um, yeah, and this is all done in the end to develop a predictive tool um, that facilitates cleanup um, missions on the shores of the Galapagos Islands. So I'm just a very small part in a big project that tries to figure out when and where will plastic wash ashore at the islands because then you can really do smart moves about the cleaning of the beaches. If you know that this is a place where it arrives, the first time before it gets further distributed, you can take it out of the system and in this way prevent more um, yeah, plastic pollution in our oceans. And this would probably be, be a beach somewhere or what kind of place could, it be, could this be? Could this also be a place underwater? No, in our case, it's, it's directed at um, beach cleanups. So the, it, and the beaches are very interesting for 
for taking out plastic, especially if it if it's the Galapagos Island where a lot of the trash comes from, is is very new. So it either comes from fisheries or it comes from the mainland. Um, and what plastic does, it over the time it deteriorates and it becomes smaller. And this happens a lot on the beaches. So with the movement of the water coming in and out, um, on you know on the beach. Um, the, there is friction on the plastic, and this is how it breaks apart in smaller particles. And then, after some time, it gets resuspended into the water and moves on. So the Galapagos Islands are an ideal point to pick up these relatively big pieces of plastic before they go out again and then distribute over the entire Pacific. Because once they are deteriorated, as you say, they are too small to clean up. Also, that's a problem, yeah. Yeah. I see. Okay. That sounds like a, a really useful research. Um, and, well, you discussed, you do this by building a model in which you incorporate, I guess, different factors that influence the transport of the particle. What factors do you take into account and how do you do that? So I have a very, um, very relatively simple approach. For my in my study, the particles still all float on the surface. Um, I don't take into account varying sizes of, you know, how how big or how small the debris is. So all that f that the force that works on my particles is indeed the currents. Um, the field set that I use, um, so. The observations of currents that um, advect that move my particles um, is constituted of three parts. So there is the main ocean currents, but there is also the effect of waves and tides already included. So one assumption that I have is that is enough to represent for now the effect of waves and a bit of wind on my on my particles. Um, one of the next steps would be to include further further physical processes. But the thing is, is that we have so little observations. So I don't really know what kind of trash is released from the fisheries. Um, I know it's mostly fishing gear, but we also find bottles with, for example, Chinese um, um, text on them, which... and. Since it's very far from the Chinese mainland to the Galapagos Islands, we assume that this comes from the fishing vessels. There is a lot of Chinese fishing activity at the shores of the, um, yeah, at the shores of the or in front of the Galapagos Islands, basically. And um, yeah, so so we don't we have very little information about all of this, and I think this is one of the, yeah, this is the main difficulty that I experience in my research is how little we know about um, yeah, about the things that go on in our seas. So, so I'm working with a data set that tells me where and when fishing occurred. But this only covers 50% of the large fishing vessels out there. And the data set is getting better, and it's amazing that this exists already, but it's just so hard to make any, yeah, um, statements, you know, stemming from from this kind of research. And the same goes for 
um, knowing about when and where um, the brie is released from fisheries. You know, do they just lose it? Is there like certain moments where they throw their trash into the into the ocean? How can I include this into my study? So for now, I'm making very basic assumptions and and hopefully there will be more research that tells us and, and in this way, then we can make the model more precise. And the same also goes for um, observations of beaching. We, we just don't really know. There is very little observations on the Galapagos Islands, but everywhere in the world, how beaching actually works. And I mean, you have to think about it, right? You need someone cleaning up the beaches regularly at multiple time instances to get an information about what kind of trash is arriving. And that's a huge effort. And yeah, I, I hope that there will be more more observations about that in the future. Right. And well, regarding to your last point, the process of beaching. Um, so questions that are relevant there is, for example, when do does waste beach and um, which be in which waste um, beaches because yeah. I could imagine that maybe at different times during the tide exactly. um, different sizes of waste beach probably but <laughs> this is not yet and studied yes and of course it depends on the kind of shore that you have right I guess it's different for a sand beach than to a stony beach um, yeah um, right and it might be different in winter and in summer, you know, and with storm or with sunshine. I don't know. There is so many factors to yeah. take into account. I see. And um, well, this is all part of, of a discussion, you say. This is all uh, something you would like to know to improve your model, I feel. Yeah. I mean, not not in the scope of my master's, master's thesis. No. But it's is, would this be part of your discussion? Uh Definitely, yeah. Yeah. definitely. I I think m my model suffers mostly under the, yeah, the little observations that we have. Right, but what could you do with your model? Was there, um, I mean, what did what did you achieve by building your model? Because this <laughs> is something that you would need to make it better. But how? Yeah, so I mean, I do know that there have been instances of fishing, so I can release my simulated debris from there. Um, and this l leads me to know that a fishing industry contributes to the trash arriving at the shores of the Galapagos Islands. Um, and and since I have quite a lot of information about the fish, once I have the information about a boat fishing at a certain location, um, I know where it comes from. I also know in which um, EEZ, so the Economic Exclusive Zone, of the nations um, um, where the boat is. So with this information, we can improve regulation um, on maritime law, I guess. <laughs> I don't know, you know, oh, just yeah. tell, give policymakers a foundation to actually do something about this problem that we have, that there is a lot of yeah, marine debris floating around in our oceans. And you could also point towards 
the land or the, exactly that that well yeah where the waste comes from and well, maybe study what happens there why does all the waste yeah. come from there so because play. of the currents or do they drop a lot of waste yeah exactly yeah we can we can we can play the blame game as we say we can say okay this is really yeah um this one country that contributes mostly to the trash so maybe they should do something about their regulations yeah so there's actually a political uh relevance yeah i hope so in your study yeah yeah i do i do believe that um this because it is such an applied um thesis that it can actually have an effect um on yeah it's a very small you know like a small dent but 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 it helps you know it helps making our world a little a little cleaner hopefully <laughs> yeah <laughs> and is is all climate physics research applied like your project um or are there also more fundamental projects that students dive into i would say that my project is one of the more applied um projects i th- i think this mostly has to do with the fact that we know so little so and i mean what what does applied mean also right it is so a friend of mine she's working on um making climate projections for um the 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 Dutch islands in the Caribbean mm-hmm. and um so that's also super applied um i <laughs> it's a difficult question you said it it depends on how you <laughs> define applied yeah okay <laughs> i i get that yeah i mean i could imagine that most research is in some way applied if you go far enough into the uh rationale of the research i mean it should be at some point but i guess um why i asked this is because climate physics is um well directed to the climate which is obviously in present day a big thing a problem um so i can imagine that this is a science that um is applied to this problem a lot so um most research projects are the result of solving uh, a problem related to the climate problem is that the case i don't think so i've been thinking about this i think i think what climate physics is about is finding ways of how to describe um our climate system i this brings inherently um the the need to also describe climate change or our climate crisis but i think first the first step is to understand how the system works and so i think since since we're still working on that you know i think most of our research is just about describing the system the next step is then to extrapolate this right. to climate change yeah. yeah but but for example the, the friend that i talked about she is l- looking at the projections of the climate in 100 years yeah Let's see 
and I mean, this is also related to, um, I guess, the political um, factor of your research that you just mentioned. You are obviously not going to uh, execute the political business if no. you have the data. You'll just provide the data. Exactly. And um, let others, well, solve the, the blaming part um, and the political part. That's so. I can imagine how the science would work. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think that is that is an important aspect of um of physics or maybe it's very interesting for for us climate physicists um or scientists is what is your role as a scientist and what is your role as a person in part of our society, you know? We can describe um how the climate will develop in the next hundred years very well. We have a scientific consensus on that it's warming, on that the earth is warming and that it's um, human-induced. How much often, yeah, how much, how, how much should we, get involved into this discussion, you know? And I think this is a, is a question that each of us has to dis- decide on our own, but I think one has to treat it very, very carefully because it's a huge responsibility that lies on our shoulders because it is about being credible, you know? And um, yeah, but also about yeah one of the biggest problems, you know, that, that we're facing as humanity. Yeah, that is a big responsibility. But also, in my opinion, climate scientists would be the best people to carry this responsibility. Carry which responsibility? The responsibility of communicating that we're having the problem or what to do about it? Ah, yeah. Because we we are physicists, right? We can describe what is happening, but do we know? what to do against it. I mean, there is very clear things that we can do, right? It's just cut greenhouse gas emissions. But everything else, I think it's a it's a collaborative effort. It is very difficult to put it on the shoulders of the physicists alone because we don't have the education to to communicate and to find things that you can do against it. All we do is describe. I think one has to be really careful here. I'm I'm not saying that that there is little responsibility. It is it is I think of the utmost importance that we describe accurately and inform in a way that everybody can understand. And I think this is this is this is where my task is going to lie in the future. Yeah. Yeah, you are. Hmm. Do you have an idea how you're gonna carry out this task as a scientist? Yeah, that's the big question, right? <laughs> um, I I don't know. I don't know if I want to stay in academia or not. Um, I love the work of of the research. Um, 
I enjoy the entire process, right? I like the asking questions and then finding a way how to answer them. Um, feels like detective work, right? And then the last step is to find a way how to present these findings. Um, so it's also about communication. But it's slow. Um, it works very slowly. And I, yeah, especially in the last two years of my master's, I, I learned how little time we have to change our approach yeah to to the economy and society to to stay within 1.5 say 2 degrees warming and yeah i'm so i'm constantly debating between research or activism i i still don't know no. um but it's it's a decision that i have to make within the next month so <laughs> we'll keep you posted oh, wow. <laughs> Isn't there a, a combination possible? Uh, well, scientific activist. <laughs> yeah, I mean that leads back to the problem that I that I just stated, right? I mean, I think as a scientist, one has to be careful with the activism. But 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 I think you're right. I think I think in the end, the solution will lie for me in something in between or finding research where I feel like I'm also moving things on a societal level or where I'm able to move. I mean, one has to be really, I, you know, I should not play, make my role too big. But um, yeah, I want to be part of of doing something about this. Yeah, feeling you're in the middle of the storm. Yeah, probably. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And yeah. part of that. Exciting. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you know that there's a storm, why not just go out there and, and tackle it? If you know that much about the storm and its causes and consequences. Yeah. It, it makes you want to do something. So how did you end up doing this thesis project, this research? Uh, how did you get there? Um, I think they have a very, very nice system in our studies. And that is that there is multiple presentations by the possible thesis supervisors. So there is projects being presented to us that we could choose. And then obviously you don't, you can also come with your own um, ideas. But that's also made easier because you already know what is possible, right? I think having, um, yeah, a few options presented it gives you the the possibility of of deciding on your own. Um, How do they present these options? Just in a lecture. Oh. So they come together and um, each project gets a minute or so. And um, yeah. And these are professors pitching their projects. Yes, or professors or postdocs or docs. It's right. just all all of them. I mean, this was all online. Now I think normally this happens. Happens also live, which I think is nice. But in this way, you know, it just switched from one person to the next. Took two hours. And then you kind of have an idea of what the possibilities are. Um, I think what was for me most important is that I feel like I have a... It's po it's possible for me to have a social <laughs> social interactions with my 
with my um, supervisors so that they're on the same, I don't know, maybe not same, but that they're on similar <laughs> wavelengths as I am. Um, so, yeah, what I would recommend um, people who are looking for a thesis to do is to talk to students but mostly talk to multiple supervisors and their PhDs. So because you can, if, if you talk to the PhDs um, and they talk about their experience, you know, with this supervisor, I think you learn a lot. And um, yeah, this is, I, 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 I knew I wanted to do something with the oceans. Um, I really, I really like the idea of tracking particles in a way that my group does. Um, but mostly I really like the atmosphere in, in the group that I'm working with. And this is how I came to choose this project. Yeah, yeah I can imagine that's very important. So you spoke with a few people of the research group beforehand. And exactly. besides uh, a match on content, on research content, there was also a match Socially. Exactly. Mm. Exactly. And that's for me very important. Um, because the problem is that I find everything fascinating, right? I mean, it, if, if, yeah. Yeah, problem or luxury. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I see it as a problem, but I guess. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And your research group, uh, what is it like? Is it a big research group? Um, I think we're, I'm, I'm so bad with numbers. I think oh, we're okay. about 10 to 15. <laughs> um, and it's very international, uh, super friendly. There is a weekly meeting. Um, and then there is a bi-weekly meeting with like our overgroup. Um, like, so there is a group that we're part of. But there is also other activities. So... There is um, during during the worst time of Corona, there were these there were by um, random process, people were assigned to each other. So we would take in pairs of two, take walks or have a coffee or and and in this way, you know, you really get to know the people from the group. So you talk to the postdocs, you talk to the um, PhDs. And you just learn a lot about the research environment. Um, yeah, I, I feel really at home and I can ask, you know, the most stupidest questions and there will be someone, you know, who is happy to help. And this is this is a really good feeling. Yeah. 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 That's quite unique, I would say. I well, maybe it's not. It's really <laughs> good anyway. It's great that you're yeah. able to feel free and... and um, comfortable enough to express yourself. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, I think, I mean, I think the the thesis project or the way that I look at the thesis project, it is a place where you can finally apply all the things that you learned, but also see how you, you know, you yourself work in research. So uh, you follow the you do the research, you write the thesis, but at the same time, you can watch yourself be affected by all of this. You know, there's times when nothing works, you know, and then there's times where you have so much input that <laughs> that you want to um, 
you know, you don't know where to start getting it out of your head. And it's just a huge, chaotic, you know, cloud. And and so it's. I think it's about learning. It's about learning how you do stuff. How do you go about a big project, right? It's three quarters of a year. Um, and how how does it affect you? I... I really learned a lot about myself in the last few months. Um, yeah, and how can you do this effectively or how what works and what doesn't work? I think um the most I think so so multiple things. I think being open to feedback and also asking your supervisors to give feedback. Um this might be uncomfortable sometimes. But in this way, you can reflect, you know, on yourself much better. And and what I feedback on what you do, what you produce, yeah, on the performance, or how also. you work. Yeah, yeah. I, I both obviously. I think yeah. the the feedback on the on the output is much easier for the supervisors to give. Um, but. Um, Yeah. So, so for example, um, I had <laughs> I had a very embarrassing experience with a presentation um, where I just I was just overwhelmed, you know, and it was not good. And then, and then I talked to my supervisors about it, and they were just really very sweet. Um, they they saw so so my my daily supervisor she saw that i my problem is scientific um wording you know to just speak in a proper scientific way um out of you know i yeah just just like that and um so what she then said is okay we're going to train this now and you're going every week you're going to you're going to prepare your little five minute presentation and um and slowly it will get better and i think it has gotten already better um yeah and and this is the way you want to do things right you want to learn how how to how to be in this scientific world yeah yeah wow it's a great experience to yeah to have that to have someone also pay the attention to you like um to see what you need or what you lack. Um, yeah, I think I'm, I'm very lucky. Um, but I think it's also something that one can expect from your supervisors. And I would really recommend everyone to, to talk about these things, you know, to talk about, hey, I know I'm just at the very beginning of everything. I don't know how to do it. But you do, you know, you, my supervisor, can, can you help me, you know? In the end, that's their job as a teacher. Yeah. yeah. It is a project that's there to learn yeah. the thesis yeah. after all. Exactly. So for you, what what besides the personal lessons in how to do research and how you function in doing such a big project, what did you learn from your master thesis? I came into this project um, also having very little experience um, with programming. And this being one of the, as we discussed before, one of the big parts of climate physics, um, I I 
felt like I needed I needed to know about this too. Um, which means that at the beginning it was it was quite a challenge to get to grips, you know, with 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 all the different um, yeah um, aspects of programming. And I have learned so much. It is a completely different thing to, you know, to so far a course you you know what you have to learn. But but with trying to um, give an answer to a research question, there is so many different possibilities of how you can go about it. So you need to try, and you need to and 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 in this way, you just learn so many different things. I think my knowledge about programming is not only that it's more, but it's much more in depth. Um, and this is really beautiful. I think I could have made it easier for myself in doing something in, that is not about programming. But in this way, you know, I learned so much. Um, and the other thing about programming is is that it that suddenly the problems become so complex, right? In in my bachelor's degree, I looked at, um, you know, yeah, as I said, you know, sm small particles, you know, one or two and how they interact. But but the ocean, it's huge. <laughs> it has very many particles in them, you know. How, how do you deal, you know, with this amount of, of information? And how can you filter out what is relevant for you or, or not? And I think this is still where my difficulty lies. Um, but this is this is also the fascinating part about it. Um, yeah, it. Um, I really enjoy this completely different way of thinking about things. Well, thank you for for all these valuable insights in in your study program and and also in your personal experience of of this program of your thesis um i think this has been a really insightful talk well uh, thank you um thanks for having me we've come to the end of this podcast thank you for listening